0: This episode of the Supply Chain Brain podcast is supported by A.N. Daringer Inc., a third-party logistics provider offering a full range of supply chain services, including customs brokerage, freight forwarding, warehousing, and trade consulting in North America. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company. But now, on to the podcast. The explosion of e-commerce is having all kinds of unintended consequences for the way in which small packages are imported into the U.S. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. For a few years now, importers have been able to bring into the U.S. single items with a value of up to $800 without having to pay duties and taxes, or provide customs with extensive prior information about that package. It's known as the de minimis exemption, and it's been a boon for e-commerce shippers. But it also raises a host of problems related to data collection, customs revenues, and, not least, confusion among the dozens of government agencies that oversee imported goods. Some don't recognize the exemption at all. On this episode, we'll see clarity on the issue from Amy Magnus. She is Director of Customs Affairs and Compliance with A.N. Daringer Inc., We'll find out how De Minimis works, whether it's a plus or minus for those having to deal with the flood of small packages generated by e-commerce, how some shippers are gaming the system, and what can be done about it. Bottom line, customs is under serious strain. So here is my conversation with Amy Magnus. Amy Magnus, welcome to the show. Thank you. Amy, would you explain for me the concept of de minimis value or de minimis exemptions in U.S. customs regulations?
1: I sure will. The de minimis value right now in the United States is $800. It was $200 before the passage of the Trade Enforcement and Trade Facilitation Act of 2015 prior to that it was as i said 200 and then before that about $20 before the customs modernization act what this means is that people can bring goods into the united states if they are valued at $800 or less without paying duties taxes or other customs fees, and also they can enter these goods with a minimal amount of data, which hopefully we'll have a chance to get into a little bit as we further our discussions.
0: Does that cover every kind of thing you might bring in with that value? Are there exemptions for that allowance?
1: I'm glad you asked that question. It is not exactly clear right now, which is one of the struggles that traders are having, including customs brokers like myself. We do know, because the Food and Drug Administration has come out with some guidance about what they will allow under the what we call Section 321, or the de minimis, FDA has been very clear about what they will allow and what they won't allow to be entered with the minimal amount of data. The other what we call PGA's, are partnering government agencies, and keep in mind there are 47 government agencies that have oversight over imports into the United States, have not been quite as clear. One of the things that we hear them saying is that they don't recognize a de minimis, Now, what that means for people who are in the know, like customs brokers or importers, frequent importers, certainly not your casual importer, what this would mean is that there is a certain amount of data that's required for the entry of goods just for customs purposes, and then there's really quite a lot more data now that is required to be submitted electronically for these what we call partnering government agencies. So with your typical de minimis transaction, just for the sake of our conversation, those goods are being allowed to be entered on manifest data. And manifest data is about five data fields. And that's pretty slick if you're an importer, that's not a lot of information. But if there is a PGA requirement for that particular product, and let's use something like a pharmaceutical, for example there could be quite a lot more data that actually is required for those goods to come into the United States. It could be as many as 30 additional data fields. But we're in a time of, I would say, struggle right now around this because the PGAs have not been entirely clear to the public, to the importing public, about what their requirements are and are not around this de minimis valued importations these are the forty seven government agencies that have oversight over all imports into the united states we're talking about agencies like epa the environmental protection act or NHTSA, the National Transportation Safety Administration, which covers certain types of auto parts, for example. Consumer product safety, all of those government agencies that have an interest in the health and safety of the American public and have responsibility over the health and safety of the American public, and therefore they may want or need additional information about importations coming into the United States so that they can ensure that the goods are being brought in in accordance with their rules and requirements.
0: And here I thought this single window that was supposed to allow for a single submission that would cover all 47 of those PGAs <laughs> would just make everything so simple. It sounds like it's not didn't quite happen that way, did it?
1: This is what we're faced with right now if the goods are in fact valued under eight hundred dollars and that valuation is in the country of export and the pga or the partnering government agency hasn't made clear what their requirements are in writing to the trade many of these goods could possibly be imported into the united states right now with minimal data with those five data fields that i told you about on a manifest And in some cases, that manifest isn't even required to be presented in advance of arrival into the United States. So this is creating many problems for, really, I think the customs regimes globally, by the way, but particularly in the United States, and also for traders. Because if the rules and laws aren't clear and spelled out clearly, then it's kind of hard to enforce them, right? So in a manifest, the information about a particular good is only required to be a verbal description, really, of the product. And I use this example all the time, bags of plastic. That's a perfectly acceptable manifest description, and I'm sure that people listening right now have an image in their mind of what (laughs) bags of plastic might actually be. And Mm -hmm. I'd like to expand that vision that they might have in their mind, A bag of plastic could actually be an airbag, an airbag that would be of interest to the National Highway Transportation and Safety Administration because I think many people know that airbags have been brought into the United States that are not in conformance with the requirements and could explode and cause harm or damage. Bags of plastic could be, let's say, a high-end intellectual property right of infringing good, like a lady's handbag. And I could name, but I I would expect that the people listening in could have names in their mind of very high-end, very expensive ladies' handbags that are being copied. And they're not the real thing. And these could be bags of plastic. It could be bags of some type of medical device. And that kind of medical device would be something that the Food and Drug Administration would be very interested in. So what I'm trying to point out to you is that a manifest description only has the verbal description of the product. And a verbal description of the product, unless it's very precise, is not adequate to make a determination as to whether or not those goods may require additional information. Bags Mm -hmm. of plastic, by the way, from China are some bags are subject to anti-dumping or countervailing duty, which is not exempt ever, regardless of the value. One of the arguments that the traders are making, some in the trade, customs brokers in particular, because we do a lot of business in this world, is that we no longer really know whether or not a good might be subject to a PGA or maybe subject to anti-dumping and countervailing duty or other particular oversights by the government unless we have a 10-digit HTS number, a harmonized tariff code number, which is a pretty much international way of identifying a product with a little bit more specificity than just a verbal description of the product.
0: That's not one of the five fields?
1: You caught on. It is not Mm -hmm. one of the five fields. And, And I'll tell you something else that's not one of the five fields, and that is the actual purchaser of the good. What is required is the place of delivery. So you know where the goods are being delivered. But what the customs officials don't know is who actually made that purchase, who actually caused those goods to be imported into the United States. Once again, these are small packages allegedly valued under $800, allegedly, not subject to any other uh, oversight by other government agencies, allegedly. There's
0: a lot of allegedly there.
1: (laughs) Right. Because I can tell you that it's been recognized globally, particularly by the WCO, which is the World Customs Organization Secretary General. And I love the quote, so I'm going to just read it to you really quickly because I think he has really said it all here. He said, the world is witnessing exponential growth in the number of small packages crossing borders. This has brought about a tsunami of small packages to the doorstep of customs administrations and other regulatory agencies around the world. Now, I want to read the second part of his comments because this is something that I also have seen and agree with. This has led to unscrupulous manipulation by the shipper or the consumer to avoid the extra charges by splitting invoices, undervaluing invoices, or misdeclaring the items altogether. These distortions to normal trade practices impact many countries' revenue collection volumes, and the data capture is not always linked to the capture of trade statistics. So, looping back, that's kind of what we've done in the United States. Because we are not requiring a greater level of information for goods valued under $800, we may not know exactly what really is coming into this country, but I will tell you that a lot of it is coming in. I think everybody can agree e-commerce has simply taken off, and we are all, including myself, ordering online. The packages are coming They are arriving at the ports of entry. The customs officers who are charged with looking and examining these goods are overwhelmed. And I can say that because imagine yourself standing at a border and a truck arrives, and it's got a straight load. It's all lumber. The officer looks. He confirms it's lumber. He's satisfied with the description, and the truck goes down the road. The next truck is a truck that hands him a great, big, thick manifest, because there isn't a single package on that truck valued over $800. So he hands him this thick manifest because he didn't have to do advanced arrival notification. And the officer stands there and he's received a package of manifests that maybe are pages and pages, and he's going through these verbal descriptions of these goods. He, As I said, he knows where they're being delivered. The country of origin is identified on the document. The supplier is named on the document, but there are hundreds of them. Now, if that officer chooses to examine that cargo, he would have to pull the truck over to a secondary area and then basically unpack the truck. Because there are thousands of little packages and then try to match up what is on his paper manifest with a package somewhere on the truck. It would take that officer all day to do an adequate job of examining a truck like that because he doesn't have the advanced arrival information and he doesn't have adequate description of what's on the truck. And we've also tied up an officer probably for a full day, but the trade is still coming across the border. So there is some disruption around e-commerce as well. Now, it's also a real opportunity for importers who want to take advantage of this, particularly importers who are bringing in goods that have high-duty rates. An example of that might be something like a footwear or uh, some type of wearing apparel importer. Imagine what they can do and are doing now. They may be bringing container loads of, let's say, footwear. Let's use that as an example. They're bringing in container loads of footwear. They bring it into a port of entry in Canada, and they bring it into what they call a sufferance warehouse or a duty-free warehouse in Canada. The goods can stay in the Canadian warehouse until a U.S. buyer emerges, and a U.S. buyer might emerge buying a pair of shoes online using some type of e-commerce platform. And then the message goes to the Canadian warehouse where, let's say, those shoes now are picked out of the warehouse inventory, packed, and a label is put on a box, and they're shipped to the United States. The shipment is under $800. They just go. They just go directly to the U.S. buyer or actually the U.S. deliver to because maybe I could have bought a pair of shoes for uh, a friend of mine who lives in Atlanta. Entirely possible. My name isn't anywhere on that transaction, as far as customs can see, but where the package is being delivered would be. But that's an example Mm -hmm. of some importers who have high-duty-rate type merchandise who have figured out a way to bring those goods into the United States package by package and not pay uh, any duty when they come into the U.S., And it's legal as long as all the rules are followed.
0: So what do we do? Are we just stuck with the state of affairs? Because certainly e-commerce flows are going to do nothing but increase in the years ahead. Is there a solution? What recommendation do you have in order to address this issue?
1: Well, there's a lot of things that we could talk about around what do we do. First of all... $800, $800, I like to just look at that. Yes, it was statutory. The law says up to $800. It doesn't say must have uh, $800. I want to make a point about that because if you look at all of the other countries in the world, and I'm trying to find my list right now so I can actually read it to you, there are almost no countries that have a de minimis value higher than the United States. The two that I know about are Georgia and Azerbaijan. all the rest of the countries in the world are under $800. Australia is 756 and they're considering lowering theirs. All of the EU countries are right around $200. Canada and Mexico, Canada is 20 Mexico is 50 To give you some perspective, I want to make a point of that before I answer the question that you asked about what do we do. One thing that some people in the United States are trying to do is convince the other nations that they must raise their de minimis to meet the United States, to encourage this kind of free flow of goods and e-commerce and maybe helping small startup companies, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not sure that I'm particularly a fan of that. I, first of all, think it's egotistical. I also think that other countries in the world have something called a value-added tax. And so by their raising this de minimis value to a rate as high as the United States, like I said, one of the highest in the world, and we're trying to convince all the other players to raise theirs to meet ours, it doesn't make a lot of sense for a lot of other countries who are using the value-added tax revenue to run their countries. So what do we do? Brokers like myself are recommending that electronic information be submitted to cover the importation, regardless of its value, or maybe carve out a very small value, maybe $200 to go through this manifest clearance, but all the rest of it have the full data that is required right now for any other commercial cargo coming into the United States, which includes the 10-digit HTS, which I think is very important because the last two digits Of the harmonized code from the United States are statistical. So if we're worried about balance of trade, just keep in mind China can send anything they want to the United States as long as it's valued under $800, it gets in. We cannot send anything we want to China that's valued $800 or under without having a lot more hoops to jump through to get access to their markets. And we're not collecting trade statistics for anything valued under $800. So if you believe, like I do, that there's been an explosion in this kind of trade, I think it would behoove us to consider using the tools that we have available and collect more electronic data to make sure that we are balancing trade properly and not guessing about what's coming in valued under $800.
0: So, Amy, tell us a little bit about A.N. Derringer, a little bit about the origin of the company.
1: A.N. Derringer is, we're getting very proud because next year we're going to be 100 years old. And that's something that makes us proud because Derringer is a privately owned company and has been since 1919. It was founded by Alfred Neal Derringer, which is the A.N. Derringer. So to be 100 years old and to be a privately owned firm, I think, is something to crow about. And we're all pretty proud of it.
0: All companies like yourselves have had to expand their offerings uh, over the years. They had to redefine themselves and kind of rebrand themselves in many ways. How has Deringer's services evolved and increased over the years as in, in line with changing customer needs?
1: Well, we have evolved and we're continuing to evolve. When you consider that we started way back when and basically we were covering importations of hay to the Allied forces in World War 1, we've gone since then to locating all around the United States. We have 30 locations in most major airports and seaports and we're very strong along the canadian border because that's our roots that's where we started but we have offices in la in atlanta and chicago and houston we've expanded our location but we've also expanded the services that we offer We have warehouses, for example. We do international freight and transportation. We have a really great consulting group that consults with our clients on some of the more particular areas of importing or exporting into the United States. So we do quite a lot beyond just doing customs brokerage, which is, of course, probably the primary service that we offer, but by no means the only service that we offer. So if it's involved with international trade, Deringer is involved as well.
0: As well as consulting in addition to supporting the physical services, correct?
1: Absolutely. We have a compliance group and we have a consulting group. Our consulting group will help clients become ct PET certified or uh, work with them if they want to become a higher level of a trusted trader with the government. If they'd like to be accepted into the ISA program, which is a trusted trader program in the United States our consulting firm will certainly be there to assist clients who would like to go to the next level or who may find themselves in an issue that they need to resolve and they need some help they need some consulting services which is exactly what we do so we've got a great team there we really again if it if it has anything to do with international trade there is some service that Deringer will be able to provide.
0: Well, Amy Magnus, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us to talk about an incredibly complex issue on the de minimis value and exemptions and some of the interesting angles that arise from that, as well as telling us a little bit about A.N. Deringer as well. So uh, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Well, thank you.
0: That was my conversation with Amy Magnus of A.N. Daringer, talking about the complexities of the de minimis exemption for imported small packages. Our thanks to A.N. Daringer for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter,